During the historical period of Israel, when judges had the, you know, basically led the nation, there are two recorded statements that kind of sum up the heart and the character of the nation of Israel at that time. And these two statements are not unfamiliar statements to Bible students of the book of Judges. But they're in the second chapter where it says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. So that's stated early on in the account of the Judges, but then as you read further on into the book, as God kind of tells the story of his people at this time, you come, for example, in chapter 17 as well as chapter 21, where you have another statement that reads, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. I want to begin with a question. Was there a king? Was there a king who ought to have been sanctified in the hearts of the people at that time? And yes, there was. There was a king over Israel, and it was Jehovah God. But they had not been living that way. They had forgotten who was their king, and they were not serving the king of heaven. Failure to know God and failure to know the great works of God were probably the fault of both teacher and student. There probably was some fault on both sides of the equation. It's probably not all one-sided. Well, it's only because of the student. They were, they were just bad students. And probably wasn't just the other way around either. They were just all bad teachers. It probably was a little bit of both there in that equation. But can the people of God today repeat? Can the people of God today repeat this same grave mistake? Of course we can. Of course we can. A generation can... Grow up and not know the Lord. And not remember the great works that he has done. Every generation of God's people need to remember. We need to remember and we ought to remember the great work he, the Lord, has done and is doing. Our God is not dead. Our God is not asleep. Our God is not inactive. Our God is still doing great things for his people, for his children. And just because we ought to remember does not mean that we will always remember as we ought. Just because we should doesn't mean we do it. Just because we should doesn't mean we remember. In the days of the judge Deborah, In the days of the judge Deborah, Judges chapter 4, God accomplished his plan even when, even when a man was hesitant to answer God's call 
of him. And so open your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. And we're going to read the first 10 verses of Judges chapter 4. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord... The God of Israel has commanded, go, march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him, and Deborah also went up with him. I want to begin by pointing out the fact that what you have here in the book of Judges is really a story about God. It's not just about his people. It's a story about God. It's about what God did and what God is able to do. And so as you read through the entire account of the book of Judges, what you need to be able to see and find and discover is the handiwork of Jehovah. Jehovah was present throughout this entire period, as as we know, of God-chosen judges. And repeatedly, repeatedly, God demonstrated his power. God showed his presence They should have remembered the work of God one generation after the next. They should have remembered what God did through this judge and that judge and the next judge, but they did not remember. Sadly, Israelites quickly forgot. So as we think about the account here in Judges chapter 4, I want you to note something in verse 2. The first thing I want you to realize is this. It is the Lord, it is the Lord who sold Israel into Canaan's King Jabin's hands. The Lord, 
did that. Remember the work of God. The Lord sold his own people into the hands of their enemies, into the hands of their oppressor. And so we need to understand that this, this turn of events in the land of Israel was not simply time and chance. That's not what's going on here. Well, time and chance, something happened, you know, and now, now this enemy has come into her life. No, that's not it. It's not mere coincidence that Israel is under another oppressor. God had warned them in his law. God had warned Israel what would happen if they turned away from him and disobeyed him. For example, in Leviticus chapter 26, and you're reading there just a few verses from the chapter, he says, if you do not obey, if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, And if your soul abhors my ordinances so that as not to carry out my commandments and so break my covenant. And then verse 7 he says, I will set my face against you. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you. And you will flee when no one is pursuing you. The Lord sold Israel into the hands of King Jabin of Canaan. Now there is another Jabin mentioned in the Old Testament. And that's back in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we have another Jabin who was defeated and struck down by Joshua. And during the conquest of the promised land. And what we see in the story of Joshua, as he's leading God's people, and God is keeping his word, he's fulfilling his promise, the land is being defeated with his help. We see Israel had already defeated a number of nations and had taken control of of southern Palestine. And so you have the southern campaign, and Joshua and Israel are successful. But then you've got this northern alliance that hears about what's going down, happening down south. And so there is a King Jabin that calls together a number of other kings. And he forms this northern alliance of nations. And they gather together to fight against Israel. Well, they weren't successful. Under, under Joshua's leadership, God brings defeat to those enemies, and, and they are destroyed. And the city of Hazor, the city of Hazor was struck with the edge of the sword and then burned. Then Joshua turned back at that time. So they've, they've, they've had victory of the battle. And so on the battlefield, they have been successful. And now Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with a sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all these kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There is no one left who breathed. There is no one left who breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire. 
Do you think, do you think, now we, you know, move a few generations after this, do you think that the Canaanites remembered what Israel once did to a capital city in the north? Do you think they remembered what they did? You think that, that devastation, that destruction, all that death, would have been cemented in their historical memory and passed on from generation to generation. But when you come to the book of Judges, you're basically two or three generations later. And lo and behold, what does God do? God hands over, God hands over his disobedient children, Israel, to... A restored, oppressive power of another King Jabin with his commander Sisera of the Canaanites. Now the name Jabin means one who is intelligent or one who is discerning. And there's some question if this is simply a family name among the Canaanites. Or is this some kind of perhaps maybe a royal title as well. We don't know for sure, but it is not the same Jabin, but it's still the Canaanites, and it's still the same place, Hazor. These events were God's doing. God judged and God disciplined. And so as we read and have read here in Judges 4, We note there in verse 6 that it is then Deborah. Deborah then sends for Barak and gives Barak God's command. Now Deborah is a prophetess who is judging in the land. But she is a prophetess and so she would receive divine revelation from God. And so she is the messenger of this Revelation from God to Barak. So he he calls him up and and she gives that message. And why? Why is God commanding Barak? Well, because God heard his people. God heard their cries. He heard their penitence. Children who have now been humbled and changed by 20 years of severe oppression... And they finally cry out to the one who can do something about it. Why is that? Why does God hear? Because God is long-suffering. And God is compassionate, that's why. He had already established Deborah in Ephraim. She is already in place, judging. And, and, And the people would come to her to cast various judgments that they needed to be settled. That's already in place. God has established that, and he hears the cries of of his children, and now he has a solution. He's the one who sold them into the hand of Jabin and the Canaanites, and he is the one who will free them from the hands of the Canaanites as well. God selecting Barak here in verse 6 and 7 when Deborah summons Barak and gives him God's command about how now you need to go and you need to 
marched to Mount Tabor. And that's what this picture is. Is Mount Tabor in Palestine. He says, you need to go there and you need to gather with you 10,000 men because I am going to deliver you from these Canaanites. God chose Barak. God chose Barak. And he chose Barak for this mission. What does that tell you? What should that tell you about Barak? If God chose Barak for this mission, Barak was God's man for this job. God chose him. Now why? Well, we don't know why. But there must have been something about Barak's character that made him suitable. Suitable to lead, suitable to command the Lord's army in this battle against the Canaanites. If you recall, he's one of those quickly mentioned by name in Hebrews 11, verse 32, among the examples of men of great faith. Barak made the list. Of all people, Barak made the list. But as we know in our reading here, Barak refused. Barak refused to go at God's command without God's judge, Deborah, at his side. God picked him. God sent him. And Barak's response, I won't go unless Deborah goes with me. Pretty bold, in my estimation. If God tells you to go, what should you do? If God chooses and sends you, if God has chosen you and has sent you, can you accomplish what God has commanded you? If God has chosen you, And God has sent you. Can you do what God has commanded you to do? Men of faith should always, should always have a readiness, a willingness, and a determination to answer God's call to act. Whatever it is. Men of faith need to be ready willing and determined to do what God commands. Even if you or I feel somewhat inadequate, or even if you and I feel that the task is is insurmountable, if God has chosen you and God has sent you, then what should you do? You should go. I think there are a couple of examples that we can quickly mention that illustrate men's hearts that epitomize this idea of readiness, willingness, and determination to act according to God. The first one is the boy Samuel. The boy Samuel. You recall, you know, leave, you know, Eli, excuse me, I'm sorry, I said the wrong way. 
Eli's sons were not godly men. They were not godly priests. And Samuel is being raised and, and growing up in the house, household of Eli. And God has chosen to reveal his message through the boy. And it was a sobering message. And you can go back there in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and, and read the whole story. But you remember when Eli finally figures out what's going on and gives and advises him what to do the next time. Do you remember what Samuel's response were, was? Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. That's the kind of heart we need to develop. That's the kind of heart we need to cultivate. Where we say, your servant is listening. Another example that comes to my mind is the unworthy but cleansed prophet Isaiah. Over in Isaiah chapter 6, you have recorded the official calling of God of the prophet who's going to take this message to the people of God there in Jerusalem and Judah. And so if you recall, very similarly, he is called, but there is a sense of unworthiness, uncleanness, but God remedies that. And so once he has been cleansed and purged of his sinfulness, then what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. If God chooses you and God sends you, can you accomplish what God has planned and commanded? Yes, you can. But also, secondly, if if God assures victory, so not only has he commanded Barak, but he has assured Barak. He assures victory. And if you've given the assurance of victory, should you waver in your confidence? I'm not saying, do we waver? That happens. I'm saying, if we've been assured victory, should we? waver in our confidence that God will fulfill his promise and that we are able to fulfill God's commission of us. Think about what what he is assured there in in chapter 4, verse 7. When God says, okay, go march, Tabor, he says, take with you 10,000, he says, I will draw out Sisera. You don't have to worry about it, Barak. I will get him here. I will draw out Sisera and the army of the Canaanites. And he goes on to say as well, and he says, and I will give him into your hands as well. So two things. I will draw out, and I will give him into your hand. Now, remember, it is the Lord that sold, sold Israel into Jabin's hands. That didn't happen because Jabin was such a powerful king. Jabin could not have touched God's people 
without God selling them into their hands. Now, he did that for disciplinary reasons. They had turned away. They were disobedient. God is long-suffering. God is one to restore his loving kindness and compassion to them, but they must return to him. So God sold them into Jabin's hands, and now God says, I will draw out Sisera to you, Barak, and I will give Barak into your hands, Barak. See, confidence must be rooted in God, in God working through us. That's where our confidence should be. Our confidence is not to be simply in ourselves. No. It's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in God working through us to achieve his plan. So think about the idea uh, as Christians. You know, we are renewed and we are recreated in Christ. Think about that. As Christians, we have been renewed and recreated in Christ. And what have we become? Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, that you should walk in the prescribed works that God has given. You know, we are God's workmanship. And so confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in God working through us and us carrying out his will, carrying out his prescribed commands. God commanded Barak, this is what you need to do. And he should have done it. Just as God commanded To the men of the congregation, my brothers, I want to give us an exhortation here. When God, our Father, commands us to lead the charge, when God, our Father, commands us to lead the charge in the midst of our spiritual endeavors, in the midst of our spiritual battles, do it. Just do it. Armed and equipped and girded with Christ, yes. You can't do it alone. But gird yourself, arm yourself with Christ and do what God commands you to do to be God's man. Be the Christ-like leaders of your wives. It's talked about in Ephesians 5.25. Be that. Be the Christ-like leaders of your children that Paul writes about in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Mothers play an important role, yes, vital to their training. But it should strike us that the address of that instruction is not to the mother, but to the father, to the leaders and the heads of the home. We need to be... We need to be the leaders, the Christ-like leaders of our children that God has commanded us to be. We need to be the kind of leaders in our congregations, among our brethren, or even on the front lines in the community or at the workplace, whatever it may be. 
When God has commanded us to lead the charge, we need to step up, girded with Christ, armed with Christ, and we need to do it. Barak's response to God's charge was not his best moment. It wasn't his best day. It was not a great show of courage, and nor was it a great you know, show of leadership initiative. God says, Barak, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do, Barak. And he comes back with his, I won't do it unless statement. Now, God does provide co-workers. And God does provide helpers along the way. But don't make Barak's mistake. Don't make the mistake of hesitating to accept your God-given marching orders. Gird yourself with God. Gird yourself with Christ. Gird yourself to be the men, the men of God that you are called to be and become. Now, Barak and 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulon did engage in battle. Barak did go because Deborah went with him. And so you have, they did engage in battle against Sisera and against the Canaanite army. But once again, the emphasis is to see that Barak was not the reason for the victory. It's God. Jehovah God is the one who brought victory to the Israelites. There in verse 14, reading again of the fourth chapter, Deborah said to Barak, Arise! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera. He's not saying, oh, this is the day you are going to win the battle. No, he says, no, this is the day. Get up, arise. This is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Does that sound familiar? When Joshua struck Hazor, not one was left. God brought this victory. It wasn't because Barak was just, you know, this world-renowned, you know, commander. And he had, you know, the these superheroes, 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun. Even though you, know, you read in the days of David, there were some pretty amazing warriors who served King David in his day. But that's not what brought the victory. Remember, they're up against an, ar- an army that has 900 
iron chariots. That's, in those days, that's 900 tanks. So 900 tanks against 10,000 footmen. In our estimation, we can kind of look at that and say, oh, this doesn't look good for Israel. But see, Israel had God on their side. And on this day, Israel was on God's side too. Victory from God is God's doing. But I want to suggest to you also this, and that is this victory did not come without personal participation. Israel did not win without going to the battlefield. Israel did not win without fighting on that battlefield. And neither will we. God will give us victory in Christ Jesus. Armed with Christ, we can oppose the forces of darkness. We can resist Satan so that he will flee from us. We can do that when we're on God's side and God is with us. God will give us victory, but we must go to the battlefield. And we must go to the battlefield and we must stand and fight our enemy. In Ephesians 6, the well-known passage that describes to us the armor of God that we are to be adorning on our, in our life. And I can't just be impressed by certain phrases you know, that are expressed here. For example, verse 10, it says, be strong. Yeah. That, that, that's not that's going to happen without effort on our part. We've got to decide, I'm going to be strong. We have to make that decision. I'm going to be strong in the Lord. Can I do it myself? No, I can't do it myself. But I've got, I have to participate in this endeavor. I have to partic- participate in this. I have to be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, put on. Who has to do that? I do. And you do. We have to be strong. We have to put on. Look down in verse 13. Stand firm. God will give victory, and God does give victory to his people, but he can only do so when there's personal participation. Israel won because God gave the victory, but they had to fight on the battlefield. And we have to do the same. We've got to put on the armor. We have to take our stand and stand firm with God, and we have to fight the good fight of faith. The mind of Israel was not their own expertise. It was not you know, their own strength. It was God making the victory possible. Once again, the Lord has gone out before you. The Lord routed Sisera with the edge of the sword before Barak. The Lord did all that. So yes, we need to seek God's help. We need to seek it. We need to you know, hunger for it. We need to long for it. But also we need to faithfully carry out God's commands. We need to seek his help and we need to carry out the command. We need to do what God says. And then when we enjoy the victory, when the victory is, is attained, what should we do then? It is then that we need to acknowledge and praise God for what he has done through us and with us. It's not us. It's God. Last point, and the lesson will be yours. And that is, God 
always accomplishes his plans. Whatever disappointments God felt about Barak or with Barak, we're not told. We don't know what God said after what Barak said. We don't know. What, 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 you know, what is God thinking? What is God feeling about Barak's shortcomings? But one thing you can know is Barak's shortcomings, Barak's weakness, Barak's hesitancy, whatever you want to call it, would not and did not stop God from doing what he said he was going to do. That day was not Barak's best day when he was given marching orders and he didn't march the way he should have marched. It wasn't his best day. He's a man of faith. He's a man of God. But that was not a good day for Barak. But God still would fulfill his purpose. God still would fulfill his will and his plan. Because God always finds willing and courageous hearts who will. Who will do his will when others fall short. God will find a way. And he found that way through a, by a woman by the name Jael. What a warrior of a character here in Judges chapter 4. As you read there, Sisera is running away. He runs to you know, the tent of Jael. They are in a peaceful alliance, you know, this family with Jabin and so forth. And so you know, he, you know, that's where Sisera runs to, to hide, you know, to find safety. She invites, her, invites him in. And then you read verse 21. But Jael. That's a big but here. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to Sisera and drove the peg into his temple. And it went through into the ground. For he was sound asleep and exhausted, and so he died. And at some point later in that day, Barak just happens to be passing by, and Jael says, hey, Barak, come here. I want to show you something. What a sight that would have been. I don't know about you, but Jael scares me a little bit. (laughs) You know, Heber better watch out. This is a strong woman. A strong woman who is a warrior for God. Barak wanted a woman to decide, and so God, you know, God told him through Deborah, okay, well, I'll find a woman who will throw the ultimate blow. And so what happens is God placed the opportunity in Jael's hands. God put Sisera into Jael's hands. But Jael had to make a decision. Jael had to make a choice. With wisdom and with strength, she had to be willing 
to carry out the task that Barak was hesitant to do. God always accomplishes his plans. Deborah, Barak, Jael, and 10,000 men from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, they all had a part. They all had a part in defeating their oppressors. But the one behind the scenes who made it possible was God. So there down in verse 23 of Judges 4, it says, So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. We need to remember God. We need to remember the great works that God does. And he is a God who always, always keeps his word. He kept his word when he sold the Israelites in the hands of the Canaanites. God kept his word. He judged them and he disciplined them. Just like he said way back in the book of Leviticus. But he also kept his word when he delivered them from their enemy. He kept his promise. He says, I, I will deliver. I will give your enemies into your hands and you will strike them down. God kept his word. The greatest proof of God's power, his love, his care, and his deliverance is Jesus Christ. That's the greatest proof of what God will do, what God can do, and what God will still do for you. He's calling each one of us to have hearts that are humble and willing to listen and do what he says. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to think about making that decision tonight. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, why not tonight confess that? Confess that with all your heart that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And with that confession, repent of your sins in your past life and be buried with Jesus Christ in the watery grave of baptism and God will free you. He will free you from the entanglement and the condemnation of sin. God is able to Far and above than what we ask. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite your courage. Please come now while we stand and sing the song to the selected.